you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to find Luke 13. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 18. Just four verses today. And um, I'm glad that you have come to sit um, under the teaching of God's word. And I do welcome you if you're watching online today. And thank you for your participation in that way. Especially for the uh, first timers who are just joining us um, for the first time. We're in a section of Luke's gospel. We're about halfway through the gospel. We're in a section where Jesus is spending a lot of time shaping expectations shaping people's expectations of what it will be like to follow him and shaping expectations of what his kingdom is like. That will be a a recurring theme over the next few weeks as we're going to see Jesus um, shaping people's expectations. And think about the value of him taking time to do that. Some of our biggest problems in life arise because... um, the expectations that we have are not met. Right? How many how many times have you or I gone into a situation and had a bad experience and then realized it was because we expected this and it turned out to be that? And so then we you know we complain, uh, we quit, we get angry, we do all kinds of negative things because our expectations were different than what actually happened. But if our expectations had been different at the beginning, it would have been a totally different experience. And so what we see Jesus doing here is spending time shaping expectations for the Christian life and what life is like in the kingdom of God. That's what he does in this little four-verse section that we're going to study today, verses 18 to 21. He's telling us about how his kingdom grows. That's the name of the sermon, Kingdom Growth. He's taking time to tell us how his kingdom grows. So what we're going to do is first notice what he says about how his kingdom grows. Then we're going to notice, secondly, the difficulties that this information presents to us. Because... What he's going to say about how his kingdom grows is probably not our first choice. It's, it's not really what we want to hear. It's not our favorite thing. As a matter of fact, I would make the argument that um, Judas, who was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, I would make the argument that he ends up betraying Jesus. That the reason he ends up betraying Jesus is rooted in what Jesus says here in this text, that the principle that Jesus states is at the root of Judas' eventual betrayal because it's difficult to hear and it's not our first choice. So we'll talk about the principle, we'll talk about the difficulty, and then we will come, we will come around to talking about the encouragement that's actually here in these words. It, it's not... It's not all hard. It's not all negative. There is an encouragement that we can find here as well. So we'll we'll do that third, okay? So first, the principle. Second, the difficulty. Third, the encouragement. All right, that's the introduction. Let's read the text. If you're able to stand this morning in honor of God and his word, I want to invite you to do that uh, for these four verses. Beginning in Luke um, 
13, verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Father, we um, want to give attention to these things. Uh, First, we want to intercede and pray for our brother Dave and for his um, wonderful father, Van. We pray for the Sindelar family, for your uh, comfort for them this morning, for your nearness to them, your felt presence um, in these holy moments for their family. We pray that the truth that's presented to us here uh, in Luke 13 would take deep root in our hearts, deep enough to sustain us when life is hard, that it would be our anchor as we hope in you. And we pray in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. All right, please be seated. Let's extract the principle first, and then we'll talk about why it's difficult, and then we'll talk about the encouragement, all right? But first, let's do some work on the principle. Now, my view is that the principle, the, the one principle that Jesus gives here can be seen by noticing what the two little illustrations have in common. Right, there's two, he gives two examples. And what I'm saying is that my view is that the main principle can be discovered by noticing what the two examples have in common with each other. Now, there are wise and reliable interpreters that see Jesus teaching two different principles using two different illustrations. Some people look at this passage and say, he's teaching two different things. He's teaching one thing by the example of the mustard seed and another thing by the example of the the leaven or the yeast. In fact, one one wonderful um, Christian Interpreter, um, commentator on the Gospels, John Charles Ryle, who I use a, a ton when studying and preaching in the Gospel of John. He was Bishop of Liverpool. He died in 1900. He's, he's one of the ones who says, Jesus is teaching two different things here. He, the, he, his view is that the, the parable or the illustration of the mustard seed is an illustration of the way that the Gospel works in the world. So like the gospel seed, the kingdom is planted as a small thing in the world and then grows and covers the whole world. He says that's the example from the mustard seed. It's the gospel in the world. And then he looks at the parable of the leaven and says that's the way that the gospel works in the believer, inside of a person. You know, it starts as a, a small thing that we, that we take in. And maybe there's a small commitment, but then it grows and grows and grows over time until it permeates the whole person and affects all of our actions, okay? Now, obviously, it's not damaging to hold that interpretation. There are, as I said, reliable, wise commentators who hold the position that he's teaching two different things here. But I think... 
the principle taught here is applicable both at the macro level and the micro level. Like, yeah, it, we, we do learn something about the kingdom in the world and the kingdom in the individual believer. But I don't think that a distinction is warranted here. I don't think Jesus is teaching two different things. I think he's teaching one thing using two different examples. One reason I think that is because we've seen him do this before. This is often what he does. We saw this in chapter 11 when Jesus is teaching on prayer. He's trying to make one point about how earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And so doesn't your heavenly father also know how to give good gifts, right? He says, if a son asks for a fish, you know, will his father give him a serpent? One illustration goes on to say, or if a son asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? See, two illustrations, same point. No, of course not. Earthly fathers know how to give their children good gifts. So how much more does God, our Heavenly Father, know how to give good gifts? So my view is that it's best to see the same thing happening here in chapter 13 where Jesus uses two little illustrations to teach one thing, one great truth. Well, what is that truth? What's the principle? We could say it simply this way, all right? It's about the kingdom of God, right? That's his question. What is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God, here's the principle. The kingdom of God grows over time from something small to something of great impact. That's the one principle. The kingdom of God grows over time from something small to something of great impact. Both the grain of mustard seed and the leaven are small. But in the end, we see their great impact. The tiny mustard seed, which is weak in the beginning, becomes something very strong, strong enough to be a shelter for other living things. The bit of leaven, which is isolated at the beginning, works its way into all the dough, total permeation. So it is with the kingdom of God. From, from small and isolated origins, it has spread into all the world. And what was founded on great weakness, the weakness of the cross, has become something of great strength. Enduring strength. The church of Jesus Christ will never be overcome by the gates of hell. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, a life-giving kingdom. The kingdom of God grows over time from something small to something of great impact. The illustration of the mustard seed and the illustration of the leaven both picture that one great principle. Notice that in both cases, the, the mustard seed and the leaven, we have a, a person. In, in one case, it's a man. It's 
a man with the, the seed, a woman with the leaven. We have a, a person making an initial deposit. They hide something away. And then waiting. A key ingredient in both illustrations is time, isn't it? It takes time for the seed to grow into the tree. It takes time for the leaven to work and permeate and spread throughout all of the dough. Both processes are are silent and mostly hidden from sight. In both cases, there is a, a waiting to see the fullness come. And we know that the waiting is absolutely necessary. Time is absolutely necessary to the process as the thing goes from small to great. The kingdom of God grows over time from something small to something of great impact. Now, I believe that this principle holds holds true at both the macro level and the micro level. It's certainly true in a macro sense that the origins of Christianity were very small and they were confined, confined to a very small area of the globe. But over time, it has grown, it has become strong, and has spread all over the globe. The gospel has spread to the ends of the earth. So this principle is true in a, a macro sense, but it's also often true in a, in a micro sense. That is inside of a person. When we bring the gospel to a person, there's no power in us to create a Christian. What can we do? All we can do is hide a seed of gospel truth inside of them. We tuck this powerful, small thing inside a person and we wait. We make the deposit And there's the the power and the potential, like a seed to grow, like the power and potential of leaven to spread. All we can do is sow those seeds and hide that little deposit of truth and, and wait and pray over the silent, invisible working of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel. That's how the kingdom of God grows in the world. That's how the kingdom of God often grows in a person. That's the principle that Jesus teaches. The kingdom of God grows over time from something small to something of great impact. Okay? Now, let's think together about why that's difficult for us. Let's talk about the difficulty. It's difficult because the nature of kingdom growth cuts against all of our natural desires. Think about what we value and what we like. We like um, the immediate. We like the visible. We like the measurable. We like the novel. We like the exciting We like the successful. We like things that we can measure. 
What we don't naturally like is that which is slow in coming. We don't like things that we have to be patient for. Most of all, we don't like things that are out of our control. And such is life in the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God is an exercise in trust. It is a life where the invisible Holy Spirit is in control and his workings are mysterious to us. We can't see what's happening all the time. We don't see those markers of growth that we'd like to see. We go long periods of time without seeing what we want to see. The Holy Spirit's movement and activity, Jesus compares in John chapter 3, compares to the wind. We can't see. Who knows where it blows from and where it's going? All we can see are the effects. In this kingdom of God, things don't happen according to our timetable. They happen according to God's timetable. So we're very much like the farmer and the baker. Is there anyone more dependent than the farmer? Is there anyone who has to be more patient than the baker? And wait for those processes to work? If they try to do something too early, it's not going to happen. We wait and we watch. This is a life of trust. And so I ask you, where are you having to simply wait and trust right now? I mentioned Judas at the beginning. Judas Iscariot, who um, was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. Sometime I would really like to take a, um, a dedicated sermon or a series just on this this one disciple Judas talk about his life and his life with Jesus today I just want to say something about what I believe is the the practical reason that Judas betrayed Jesus so not the theological reason if we ask why did Judas end up betraying Jesus one reason the primary reason is that it, it was written of him that it had always been written of him that this is the role that he would play. But that's not what he would have said if you asked him point blank, why did you betray Jesus? There was a practical reason. There was a real life reason why he ended up betraying Jesus. Practically speaking, if we were able to ask him why he betrayed Jesus, I, I can't prove it, of course, But I believe he would say something. I believe there's enough biblical evidence in what we know about him that he would say something to the effect of that he realized that this endeavor with Jesus was not achieving what he hoped it would achieve. I believe he would say something to the effect that he wanted to follow Jesus to a throne. He wanted Jesus to rule and destroy Rome, destroy all his enemies. You know, establish a real kingdom. Like with a a real king who like looks like a real king and acts like a real king. And, you know, 
is the destroyer, not the destroyed? He didn't want to follow Jesus to a cross, like to weakness and to humiliation. In other words, he didn't want a delayed kingdom. He didn't want a a someday kingdom. He wanted a right now kingdom. And when he saw that, wow, Jesus isn't kidding about being delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes. Like I, know he, like, I know he's talked about that happening and warned us about this, but now it's obvious that it's really gonna happen. Like, they really are gonna kill him, and he's really gonna let that happen to him. And when he realized that that's the direction it was definitely going, he decided to make the best deal that he could and get out. That's not the timetable that he wanted to work with. He wanted the tree but he didn't want the burial of the seed and the waiting and the trusting that what Jesus said would actually happen, that the disciples really would rule with him on 12 thrones. What? This man is going to die. Do we really trust that this is all going to happen? He wasn't seeing what he wanted to see when he wanted to see it. And I I know that so many of you are in the same position, not seeing what you want to see when you want to see it. And that is excruciating. Some of you are waiting for the return of a child. And your eyes have been on the horizon for a long time. And you're having to exercise this excruciating waiting and trust. Like the, the father of the, the prodigal son, just keeping your, keeping your eyes on that horizon, wondering, will it happen today? Will he come home today? Will she come home today? Some of you are waiting for the gift of a child. I'm not even going to try to pretend I understand. But like like Hannah, you're you're pouring out your heart to the Lord. A lament, really. Waiting. Trying to stay in relationship with God. Some of you are waiting for a relationship waiting for a husband or a wife to walk into your life. Are they coming today? Are they ever coming? You're praying and you're hoping and you're trying to trust. Some are waiting for an employer to finally say yes to you. When is it going to be the day when your resume makes it to the top? Like everyone else has had their turn and you just keep getting the the very difficult email back. Or you don't hear anything. Some of you are waiting for other things. Always the waiting. Always the dealing with the nagging doubts that all the disciples must have had walking with Jesus. Is Is this really the pathway to glory? Like, could this road really lead to a kingdom? What are these ways of God 
Why are they so hard to understand? In the kingdom of God, we are called to be a trusting people. It's such a simple statement, but it's so hard to do. We are called to look at circumstances and timetables that are not ideal that we wouldn't choose and simply say, I trust God with everything, whatever happens, whatever doesn't happen, how, how it happens. I trust God. That's what Judas should have said. That's what we should say. That's the great difficulty here, to have to exercise trust when we can't see anything. Because the kingdom of God doesn't cater to our desire for the immediate or the visible or the measurable. You see how Jesus is setting our expectations for what life in this kingdom is like? Let's talk about the encouragement and then we'll be done. I've got a, a coffee mug on my desk over there. Uh, it doesn't hold coffee, it just holds pens. I didn't like what was on it, so I taped over the mug and I put a piece of paper over it and I wrote my own message on the mug. Now my mug reminds me of something that really helps me. This is what it says. Jesus didn't see the ideal realized. Jesus didn't see the ideal realized. One of the outworkings of this principle being true about the kingdom of God not coming immediately and taking all this time to grow into a tree. One of the outworkings of that principle is that Jesus didn't get to see it happen in his life on earth. He didn't get to see his kingdom grow into a tree. That's the ideal. He didn't get to see it. He didn't get to see his disciples become preachers and leaders. He he wasn't there for Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He was there for Peter's denials, but not for his sermon. He didn't get to see the faith-filled believers in the early church dying in the Colosseum for his name. What he got to see was one of his disciples betray him and the other 11 run away from him because they were afraid. Jesus, in his time on earth, didn't get to see the ideal realized. And that was by design. That was not a failure on his part. By God's design, Jesus did not get to see the ideal realized. Very few have. In fact, in just a quick mental check through the Bible, I I could only think of one person for sure that I think got to see the ideal realized. Not Abraham. Not Moses. He didn't get to go. 
You know, not even Joshua. He didn't, get to, he didn't get to see all of the land occupied. He didn't get to see the ideal. David didn't get to see the ideal realized. He, wouldn't, he wanted to build the temple. He was told, no, it's not going to be you. Elijah didn't get to see the ideal realized. You know, even after he proved, even after God proved in that great demonstration on Mount Carmel, who is really God? And you might think revival is going to break out in Israel. This is all going to be wonderful now. And Ahab's going to die and Jezebel's going to die. No sooner had that happened than he was the one who was afraid for his life. The only person I could think of, and you come tell me after the service if you can think of someone else or you send me an email, the only one that I could think of that got to see the ideal realized, maybe it was Solomon. The great kingdom, Israel at at the height. Very few, almost none, walking with God have seen the ideal realized. And that encourages me. You know why? I have... I have great hopes and great dreams for Prairie Hill Church. You know, you've got your own great hopes and great dreams for for your ministry, for your family, for what you hope happens in your life. You have an ideal that you really want to see realized. And then something happens and we get so discouraged Things are not going the way that we want them to go. And when that happens to me, I look at that mug on my desk and I remind myself, not even Jesus got to see the ideal realized in his time on earth. Are we, as citizens of the kingdom, willing to say that like Jesus, we may not see the ideal realized in our life on this earth, but nevertheless, we are content. We are content with what God has ordained and with his kingdom principles that time is required, that growth is largely hidden and quiet, and like Jesus, we may not see the fullness in our lifetime. I said a moment ago that we should be uh, trusting people. We should be a trusting people. We should also be content people. Not content in the sense that we settle for less. Content in the sense that our hearts are settled in God. You know what God's ideal is? You know what God's ideal has always been? To have a trusting and content people. God's ideal has always been a trusting and content people living with him. It's always been that way from the first moments in the Garden of Eden where we should have trusted God and been content with him through the wilderness wanderings of Israel to the days of the early church until now. That is God's ideal. 
a trusting and content people. Let me ask you this. This is the very last thing. What if in this life you don't see your ideal realized, but God sees his ideal realized in you? Is that okay with you? Is that enough for you? Jesus did not see the ideal realized in his time on earth, but God the Father saw his ideal realized in Jesus. This is the glory of Jesus Christ. This is the Christ life that we pursue. And that's what life is like in the kingdom of God. Father, I I pray for those called in these days to exercise a very, very difficult trust and contentment. We understand this principle about the kingdom of God and the way that it grows. We acknowledge it as your plan. We give thanks for your good plan. But we, in our, uh, in our frailty, admit also that this is a bit difficult for us. Because in, in our flesh, we like things now. And we want to see results. And we want to see things that we can measure We don't want to wait for the seed to grow, for the leaven to work. And yet here's this farmer and here's this woman waiting. Waiting on God-ordained processes. And so um, I pray that you would take what we see in the life of Jesus Christ, this great ideal human ideal realized in Jesus, a trusting and content heart before you, an obedient son. We thank you that he offered that to you in our place, and we thank you that the Holy Spirit imparts the same life to us to live out the Christ life and how we have pictured that this morning and the the taking in of his, his body and his blood, symbolizing the taking in of his life so we can live out his life. Yes, Lord, we love you. We need lots of help. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.